welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Welcome to Gateway. Lovely to have you with us here this evening. Actually, last week it was Don who launched a new series for us entitled And Around the Holy Spirit. And this week and next week, we will continue to look at the whole area of the Holy Spirit, especially in regard to the issues of power, the Holy Spirit power, and how that is worked out through us and in through us as a community. And this is relevant at many, many levels, but especially at two. Firstly, because we are a matter of few weeks away from Pentecost Sunday, or Pentecost Sunday being the day 50 days after Easter, when the Holy Spirit descended upon the waiting disciples in Jerusalem, and we read the powerful encounter in Acts chapter 3, when the Holy Spirit fell, they spoke with tongues, and many, many people over that period came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. That was known as Pentecost. But it is also relevant on a second basis, because we are a Pentecostal church, We are a Pentecostal church, and Pentecost is our experience because of what happened on the day of Pentecost. We'll unpack that a little bit more over the next couple of weeks. Many believers think that Pentecost is simply a New Testament development. Oh, we read about that in Acts chapter 3. That is what we call the day of Pentecost, so that is why it is we're a Pentecostal church. But in reality, Pentecost was and still is a Jewish festival, and is still celebrated today. Likewise, it is celebrated 50 days after the Passover, but in the Bible it is not called Pentecost in that sense, because Pentecost is a Greek word. But in the Old Testament and in Judaism today, it is called the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. So whenever you read in the Old Testament those terms, the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks, that is exactly the same time as the day of Pentecost. It was a time when the Jewish people celebrated the early harvest that happens in May or early June, when the early wheat crops are harvested. In Israel, they have two crops, two times when they harvest, one now in May and another one in September, October. And this was the festival of weeks when they celebrated the incoming of the harvest. And so we remember and call it Pentecost because it coincided with those festivals. Pentecost marks the fullness of God coming to earth and interacting with humanity as we Christians understand it. God the Father had had been there, they'd all been there from the beginning, but God the Father had manifest himself really throughout the Old Testament, was there in creation. Jesus had come in the form of a man who had died, taken upon our sins, rose again, and then ascended into heaven. So we see the God the Father, and we see God the Son. And it is the Holy Spirit that comes on the day of Pentecost. It is as if the unraveling of the Trinity, the triune God, is now complete. And we are exposed to God the Father, 
God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit. And it is God the Holy Spirit is, that is that inner voice, that spirit of truth, that counselor, that person we rely on for guidance and direction, that person that we, we seek to hear his voice when we read his word or when we seek him in prayer. So now the Godhead in fullness has been revealed to us. And it is through the Holy Spirit that today, through his guidance and through his direction and through his word and, and through his power, that we are called to work out what it is to be Christians in our families, in our communities, in our cities, and ultimately in our country. It is the Holy Spirit that will bring direction. And those of us who refer to themselves as Pentecostals or as a Pentecostal church, we wish to believe, to teach, to worship, to experience, and rejoice in those things that came in on the day of Pentecost, those things that reveal to us about the Holy Spirit. So over the next couple of weeks or so, we're going to look at the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to each and every one of us today. The moment we got saved, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within us, the incredible truth that He came to dwell within us. If you are a Christian tonight, He is within you at this very moment. And as 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? How incredible is that? That God dwells in each and every one of us. As soon as we came to Christ, as soon as that transaction was made, that He took our sins and He gave us His grace, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And it is probably more wonderful than we can truly imagine. It is probably truly beyond our imagination what it, and our comprehension of what it means. We are truly talking God in us. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Godhead, equal to and co-equal with the God the Father and God the Son, and He dwells in each and every one of us. And it is so true, and therefore incredibly important and relevant for our lives today, that we not only understand the theory of that, but we know what the reality of that truth is. That within us, I keep saying that again because it is so incredible, that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. He who was there at creation dwells within us. So as we come to look at the power of the Holy Spirit, there are two things that I just want to preface what I want to say tonight. And firstly, I want to go back to, to Don's sermon from last Sunday night. And one of the many things that I took away afresh was that of the Holy Spirit as a person, not just something of an add-on to the Godhead, not a means to an end, not a way of making something happen or just seeing his power or conjuring up so that we will be impressed, but to remind ourselves that he is a person to be known, to be enjoyed, to be walked with, to spend time with, to have companionship, to have friendship, that he is a person that we need to get to know. Um, often I am asked, how do we love God for who he is and not what he can simply do for us? How do we get to know God without just wanting to know his gifts and his power? How do we get that? How do we work out that dichotomy? And 
To love God, I know, is more than just to simply love his gifts. And I think it's a good question that we ask ourselves. And I think if we always hold that intention, it's always a safe place. How do I love God for who he is, not simply what he does for me? How do I love the Holy Spirit and simply not what he can do for me or what he can come and aid me with? And it's a healthy question to ask. I believe that experiencing God's gifts is actually inseparable from experiencing God directly. They go together. They are held in this impossible to untangle tension. God is different from his gifts, but yet we experience him through his gifts. That we mustn't be worried about his gifts. We, must, we experience him through his gifts. Every one of us knows that to love a person and the love of their gifts to us are completely separate. They are not the same. Yet we experience someone's love through gifts, through touch, through the Christmas presents under the tree. You know, if or when, I should say, when I buy flowers for my wife, I nearly got into trouble then, as I always do. Whenever I, I, I buy flowers for my wife, why give her something that are going to die? Not very fiscally responsible, is it? Being economically minded, it is not fiscally responsible to buy my wife flowers that within three or four weeks, or three or four days sometimes, are going to be dead. And why not get her a potted plant? Or why not buy her a tree? You know, flowers, if you think of it in that sense, are useless. They are impractical. They are temporary. They are not a good investment. But that's precisely their power. You buy them for no reason, and you buy them simply because your loved one loves them and likes them. You do it, in my case, just for her. It's virtually, I believe, the same with God. For whilst his gifts are not useless, for his gifts are wonderful, incredible, and majestic, he wants to give them to us, and he wants us to enjoy them. He doesn't want us to dissect them necessarily. Think, oh, he just wants us to enjoy them. As my wife enjoys receiving flowers because of the thought and the act and the love behind them, God wants us to receive his gifts because he wants to give them. And we find him through his gifts. I really do believe that we can love the gift and find God through it. We can love the gift and God through it. So, I want to encourage you, as we come and we talk about the gifts, to be excited about them, because God, I believe, has them for us, and he wants us to know more and more about them. I've been a pastor for many more years than I would like to remember, but one of the ongoing thrills of my life, if not the greatest, and you know, when, you're, when you're standing here in these situations, you're supposed to say the most wonderful time of your life was when you got married. And then you're supposed to say that the most wonderful thing after was the birth of your children. Okay, that's the politically correct thing to say. And I'll say that first. But one of the most incredible occasions that I have ongoing enjoy is the outpouring and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is beyond description. It is beyond the tangible. It is beyond words. There is something of enjoying and experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is indescribable. To be present, 
to have seen, to have witnessed something of His power is beyond description. And having tasted of it, it leaves you with a longing that you will never, ever lose. That the triune God in the presence of the Holy Spirit turns up and transforms a situation through His power is beyond whatever one can imagine. If I can put it like this, once you have tasted and experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, it ruins you for the rest of your life because nothing else is ever quite like it. I remember when I was a 12-year-old lad, my parents had been raised in a Baptist environment. They bought a farm and the nearest local evangelical church was a Pentecostal church. So for the first number of years of their married life, they were Pentecostal by geography and not by experience. They came into the things of the Holy Spirit later on in their marriage. But I remember, we would call them an encounter here at Gateway, but I remember when I was a 12-year-old lad, I was sitting in a small room that would be oh, about a third of the size of this, and we had an encounter meeting. And in the, if you've never been to an encounter, it's where somebody teaches on the power of the Holy Spirit, teaches on the person of the Holy Spirit, and then there's an opportunity given for the Holy Spirit to come and for you to be infilled with it, for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, as we call. And I remember I was in this meeting, and um, I was 12 years old, and it was a funny Im imagery, but it was so small, and there was about 10 of us in there, and I was actually sitting on my father's knee. And I remember the Holy Spirit came and filled that room that I cannot even begin to describe to you. That the Holy Spirit came and gave us utterance to speak in tongues, and I cannot ever, ever fully describe the majesty of what happened. But I do know this, having tasted of the presence and the majesty of God, there was no going back. It ruined me for the things of the Spirit. It was quite a, a quite amusing time, really, because I said, I said that my parents were good Baptists, and my mum and dad had sort of said, well, wait until you're 15 or 16 until you're baptized in water. And this really messed with their plans because here I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, and I'd never been baptized in water. So I said, well, work that one out, mother. But then she said, well, if God's baptized you in the Holy Spirit, surely you can be baptized in water. And something of that awesomeness of being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit ruined me. And as a couple... God ruined us early on in our ministry for the things of the Holy Spirit. He put a longing in our hearts then that has never, ever ceased. It set us on a trajectory that we will never want to start experience, uh, stop experiencing. We were, I think we were married when we were 21, and we went to our first church in 20, in, in, when we were 22. And we were... We were asked to go to this little small town in Wales. There was a population of about 12,000. We were asked to replant a church. That meant that historically there had been a church there and there was no longer a church. And we had been asked to go back. Our first church out of seminary, we had more energy than sense. We did not have a clue what we were doing, but we had a passion for the things of God. And we were asked to go back and to plant this replant this church in a predominantly Welsh-speaking area. And so we went with an enthusiasm and a gusto. And as I said, we didn't really have much clue what we were doing. But for the, for the sake of time, there were two incidents that happened during that time that again continued us on a trajectory to seek the things of God forever. 
First of all, we, the first event was we were praying one Sunday evening for a lady, and she was in a wheelchair. She had been told by the doctors that she would never, ever walk again. And we prayed for her that evening. And as surely as I am standing here that evening, she got up out of her wheelchair, and she walked to the front. She had been medically diagnosed as being stuck in a wheelchair for all her life. And that night, we prayed Holy Spirit came and touched her. Do not understand, cannot fully under explain it, but the power of God came and she was healed. The doctor the following week could give no human or medical reason for why she was healed, but she had been. And through that experience, she became a believer. All her family became a believer. And here we are, 33 years later, she is still in church. She is still following hard after the things of God. She was radically transformed, and so too were our perceptions of the power of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in us and through us and what he wants to do in you and through you here in Hamilton. Since then, I have prayed for people who have been sick, dying of cancer, or in wheelchairs. Some have been healed, but most of them have not. I don't know why, and I desperately would love God to explain why that happened or why it doesn't happen. But I do know this. I am going to keep on praying for each situation I am asked to pray for because once you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in all its majesty, you so long to create every opportunity to invite him into every situation because if he comes in power, he will transform our community. And this has to be the prayer and the desire of our heart. As a Pentecostal church who talk about the things of the Holy Spirit, we need to have a reality that goes with our theology and with our doctrine. The second incident was a few months later after the first. <clears throat> it was again, it was on a Sunday evening after the end of the gathering. We asked people if they wanted prayer for anything, and they came forward and we prayed for them. A number came forward, and there was a particularly one lady who was um, a little bit older than the rest, and she was a grandmother, and she was known to us for about three or four weeks, three or four weeks, and it went something like this. We asked, her to come, asked them to come forward. She came forward, and we started to pray for her, and in those good days of the, of the late 80s, we would say, come Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came, and as I was standing here praying for her, she ended up about halfway between here and the sound desk. The power of God came, hit her, literally knocked her off her feet, and she fell flat on her back. I had no clue what had happened. She lay there for about 10 minutes. But when she got up, she was unhurt, and she was physically different. If I can say this, I won't offend her because she's now in eternity. She looked younger, she looked different. The color of her skin was completely different. Her, as it were, the, she was flourishing in her looks. And as we chatted with her, we discovered that she'd had quite a profound experience and life, really, in the occult. That she had been an advocate of the occult, and she had taught people, and she had led people in that whole area. 
but she really felt that she needed to make a change in her life. And she came to church because that's where you go when you want to meet God. She just chose our church randomly. And she came and she had a power encounter with the living God that transformed her life, that not only led her to salvation, but led her whole family to come to know Jesus. <clears throat> An power encounter between darkness and light and good and evil and the Holy Spirit and the work of the enemy. And you know, she died a few months later. <clears throat> she died, we had the privilege of taking her funeral. And we were able to say that she had come to know God. And I think that what was happening there was God was not only setting her free, God was not only giving her a counter of the Holy Spirit, but he was setting her up for eternity. That he was preparing her, making a ship shape and taking her to be with him. And here was her opportunity. You know, the telling of such stories is not simply to tell stories of great exploits or to say, I was there. I tell you, I cannot tell you enough about my incompetence and my lack of knowledge in these things at those times, but to tell you that God does these things, he continues to do things, and he longs to do things of power and to demonstrate who he is in our midst, in us, and through us to other people. So let's come. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians to talk about some of these gifts that he has given to us. Because all that we do needs to be rooted in Scripture. And here is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I do not, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to other various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. <clears throat> just want to read three or four of those verses again from the message. Verses four to seven says this, God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's son. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. There are those who say that the, the gifts of the Spirit ceased during the days of the apostles. That is not our belief at all. And experience and, and reality shows that they didn't cease at the time of the apostles, but we'll take a little bit more time on that next week. But I want to come and talk about the gifts and the promises that God has given to us. God has promised to us, his people, through the Holy Spirit, 
that, we will, that he will enable us to work together and function as one body. So I want to take a time for these next 10, 15 minutes to go through what some of these gifts are that are available to us through the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you, if you can say that. I want to challenge myself. Do I really desire these gifts? Are these gifts functioning in my life? Are these things that I really need to pursue and see what conclusion we come to at the end? And there are a number of gifts mentioned throughout the whole of the New Testament. They're found in 1 Corinthians 12, they're found in Romans 12, they're found in Ephesians 4, and they're found in 1 Peter 4 and 5. But tonight, the bottom line is that God has gifts for each and every one of us. Something that we have not earned or paid for, something that we don't deserve, and it's something that we simply receive. I re- I was, I'm constantly reminded... As a 12-year-old boy sitting, in my, uh, sitting on my father's knee in this small little chapel in Wales, I did not deserve it. I did not really understand it. I did not comprehend it. But God came and he gave me his gift. Undeserved and unmerited. And so according to the New Testament, we have been given gifts. Not that we can just mess around with them, but we can have these gifts so that we can work together for his good and for his glory and for the building up of the kingdom of God and for the extension of the kingdom. There are a number of different words used in the New Testament for these types of gifts. And one that is found in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and is a very familiar one is called charismata. Charismata, charismatics is what we would use the phrase today. If you come from a charismatic or a non-charismatic, it's a New Testament word, charismata. And when you break the word down, it basically means it has two forms. First of all, charis, which means grace, and martyr, which is the manifestation of the gift or the signs of the gifts. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to the New Testament, are evidence of God's grace and goodness and power in our lives. Such an incredibly beautiful picture. It is not an evidence of how clever we are, or how articulate we are, or how much we know, or how much we think of ourselves, or how spiritual we are. They are gifts from God to each and every one of us. So that means that no one's excluded, and everyone is included. They are the evidence of His work in our lives, and they are gifts from Him. Another word that is used in the New Testament, which I find really helpful and very insightful, is pneumatikos. I'm not a very Greek pronouncer, so if it's not quite right, please forgive me. Which means demonstrations or discerning the Spirit's power. And I find this really, really helpful. And I want to quote from a writer called Justin Thomas. I think that's what his name is. And he's Justin Taylor. And he says this. And this really helps me when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit. Because we're dealing here in the area of faith, the realm of the supernatural. We're not dealing with the things that are tangible and things we can necessarily see. And he says here about uh, pneumaticos. Therefore, to be, to be spiritually discerned is to look beyond the physical, to look beyond the metaphysical, into the realm of the unseen. As Jesus was quoted as saying, the kingdom comes without observation, meaning you can't see it, just as we cannot see air or breathe or spirit, pneuma, therefore one who is pneumaticos 
is one who can discern and know how the Spirit works. And I believe one of the challenges, one of the mandates of the New Testament is to lift up our eyes from the natural and to see into the supernatural and to believe and to move in the supernatural that we see what God has for us, that we take our eyes off the temporal, we take our eyes off what we can tangibly divide up and see and say, God, I really want to believe what you have for me. I really want to discern that there is something out there that you want to give me. And that's one of the, the challenges that comes from this word, new, uh, pneumaticos. I think it's incredible that the whole area of the, the realm of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit cause us to take a step of faith to lift our eyes above the physical and the natural and say, Lord, I want what you have for me. So what are these gifts and how many of them are there? Have you read any books or any articles or literature on them? Scholars have lots of different numbers. Some say there are seven, some say there are nine, some say there are 12, some say there are 14, and some say there are up to 50. But in some ways, it doesn't really matter. But, but tonight, for the sake of just finishing tonight, I want to come and have a look at one Corinthians 12, <clears throat> verses 7 to 11, and look at these to begin with. And they say that they're the word of knowledge, there's a word of wisdom, there's the gift of faith, there's a gift of healing, <clears throat> there's the working of miracles, there's prophecy, discernment of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of those tongues. And if you had somebody who was really good and theologically correct, they would say there are three and three and three, and you can break them down into gifts of power and different things. But tonight, I'm just going to go through them, the time permitting, as they come here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the first one that we come to is the gift of wisdom. That Holy Spirit gift of wisdom. Some folks say that the words of knowledge and wisdom happen in good preaching, and that's where they should happen. And I understand that, and I'm sure that this happens in one sense. But I believe that the gift of wisdom is being able to speak God-given wisdom into situations that transform them. This has nothing to do with experience, maturity, or being a wise person, as desirable as those things are. Scripture encourages us to pursue wisdom, but even that is not it. The word of wisdom is a supernatural impartation in a specific moment of God's wisdom to meet a dilemma that is simply beyond our natural ability to solve. Don't we need more of that? You know, I just, I, I just, when I was preparing and going through this, I just said, Lord, I need all of these, and I need a lot more of them. That's supernatural wisdom to unlock and to change the situations. It unchocks. It unlocks life situations. It gives direction. It gives understanding and so much more. And how don't we need it? I remember once an incredibly powerful word of wisdom that was given to me as a, I can't remember, the kids were born. I was, I, I was working for a, on a short time in, in my home church, and I was working with my brother. And uh, my brother and I are, are really good friends. We got on, get on extremely well, and we have a great relationship. But we can't work together. He is so wrong all the time. I mean, you think that he would know. He's 10 years older than me. You'd think he'd have a bit more wisdom. Sorry, no pun intended. 
but that wasn't the case. We, as I said, we get on really well, but for some reason, we just didn't work together. And there was nothing terribly wrong, but you know, there was a bit of rub, a bit of, you know, I mean, like burr under the saddle. And I remember I hadn't talked about this with this guy at all. And he came up to me and he said, he said, Chris, I'm, you don't seem to be yourself. What's wrong? And I said, well, I don't really want to talk about it because, you know, it was something really small. And he just said these words. You always have to be your brother's brother, but you don't always have to work with him. You always have to be your brother's brother, but you don't always have to work with him. That transformed our situation. This guy didn't know the full implications of what he was saying. And I really believe that God said, that's my wisdom for you in this situation. You know what to do. And within a couple of months, we'd, we'd gone our separate ways, and it was quite natural and yet supernatural. But the word of wisdom coming into a situation transforms something, unlocks situations that we need unlocking. The word of knowledge is being able to speak into someone's life without foreknowledge or forewarning about a situation. It is a supernatural revelation of facts that are unknown or beyond the realm of the natural mind. It isn't gained through diligent study. One is made aware of something you didn't and couldn't have known by normal means. And this and the gift of wisdom are particularly wonderful and particularly winsome, if I can put it that way. You know, whenever you're around people who move in the power of the word of knowledge, they don't want to know the situation. You know, Tony Saxon, when he's here, he's like, oh, Tony, meet so-and-so. He said, no, no, I don't want to meet, I don't want to know him. I don't want to know anything about them. So that when God gives him a word, it's incredibly powerful into that situation. It's not as if somebody's given him a cheat sheet that he, or this, he knows everything about them, but he speaks a word of knowledge that transforms the situation. Daniel Brown, someone like that. It just changes situations. Simply so desirable and something wonderful. How does it happen? Well, perhaps it can come through a thought or a feeling or a picture in your mind's eye or something that you say that God just quickens out of your mouth. You know, Holy Spirit will teach you, and we'll come on to those in subsequent weeks. You know, the gift of faith. What is this? Because simply, isn't faith something that we all have? Isn't it a gift for all of us? Doesn't faith come from hearing and from the Word of God? Isn't this all about faith or faithfulness? No, this is something different. This is a supernatural impartation of God's faith to accomplish a special purpose or a particular, in particular circumstances or in particular situation. It is where God releases faith for us to believe for something special or something supernatural or something that needs to bring breakthrough. That is the gift of faith, that it defies logic, it defies the supernatural, it, uh, it defies the circumstances, and it's not just simply a mind over matter. It is as God gives you the gift of faith to see something brought about that necessarily otherwise wouldn't happen. It is simply inexplicable at best. Just as a word of caution, often I've heard people say that if you have enough faith, everything will be okay. If you just keep on believing, it'll work out fine. And most times it doesn't. That is not the gift of faith. That's just conjuring up something within us to make us believe something's going to happen. The gift of faith is a supernatural imparting of 
just an incredible peace that that thing will come about, that those will happen, that something will happen. And that is faith for a given circumstance or a given situation. The gift of healing. The gift of healing is the ability God gives to someone in the body of Christ to pray and people are healed. I believe that that lady that got healed, that was because of the gift of healing. It was limited in time. It was with us for, for a season and it departed. I'll come back to that in a moment. This is not the same as is mentioned in James 6 where it says, if any of you are sick or call for the elders of the church, anoint them with oil. This is something completely different because the gift of healing is given in circumstances where people are miraculously healed. This is what it means to, this is what it means to operate. You know, I'm currently reading a biography of T.W. Ratner, T.W. Bill Ratner, who was one of the most, one of the greatest, I would probably say, Maori prophets that has ever lived. He had a powerful gift of healing that changed and transformed New Zealand here in the late 1918 through to 1923. He healed and hundreds of thousands, hundreds and maybe thousands of people were healed. He was a Maori prophet who had a powerful encounter with God. And one of his biographies says this, healings became so common that he was known as the Maori miracle man. As newspaper articles about him began to appear, a non-denominational church was built on his land so that services could be held there. The 1920 Christmas service had over 3,000 attendees and over 100 healings were recorded. That is the gift of healing. It doesn't always have to be that dramatic, but that is as dramatic as it can get. If you've never even heard about him, I'd encourage you to go and just read his, his biography. Very powerful, very honest, very down-to-earth. Just the incredible aspect of that, of that, that situation was incredible. Between 16 and 18,000 Kiwis died in World War I, and we know the, the Battle of Gallipoli um, contributed to a huge percentage of that. But during the outbreak of a worldwide influenza in 1918, over 8,500 Kiwis died through having the flu. And a disproportionate amount of that were Maori. And it was right at the, that time when the flu broke, that outbreak of flu happened, that God gave Bill Ratner the incredible gift of healing. And people were healed. And some say that that, that that outbreak was stemmed by the gift of healing that God placed upon this man's life. And he began and he continued from about 1918 to about 1922, 1923. Thousands were saved and thousands were healed. This is a classic example of the gift of healing. It is also interesting to note that after a few years, his gift of healing lifted off him. It wasn't something that he had for his lifetime. It lifted off him. And that actually tells us a lot about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they come, they are gifts, and we can use them sometimes in certain avenues and certain arenas, and then they will lift for a while, especially in the area of healing. Musicians, come and join me, please, wherever you are. We'll continue this on next week. I'm not going to get through all my notes for tonight. Aren't you relieved? You want to get home tonight. I just want to jump forward, please, to a quote that I was going to use at the end, and I found this really quite powerful and really helpful. And it's by Jack Deere. Some of you will know Jack Deere was 
prolific writer on the things of the Holy Spirit in the 1980s or 1990s and the early zeros, and he says this, sometimes when you've spent a long time rejecting the gifts of the Spirit and come to believe in them, you almost feel as if you are being born again. You feel as if you have a whole new Bible. By that latter statement, I mean that the Gospels and Acts come alive for you in a way that they will never have before. Things that you have had relegated to the first century now become a possibility for today's church. I don't know where each and every one of us stand in regards to the things of Pentecost or the things of the Holy Spirit. I don't know your experience. I don't know your church background. I have shared with mine, and for me, it's so real. But I love the way that Jack Deere puts it in the sense that if you come from a background that you've not had this experience, it's like reading the Bible in a whole new, in a whole new way. It comes alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, the things to do with his gifts, with his baptism, prophecy, healing. It opens a whole new arena. And my, my desire, our desire over this series is to open your eyes to a new arena. Maybe it's been something that's been part of your experience. Well, we want to stir it up again. We want to stir it up again because if he does not come, then what really do we have and we want to be a people of Pentecost. And if it's never been part of your experience, we want to hold up a vision of what God has for us, his people, living today through the power of his Holy Spirit, allowing him to transform our lives, our families, and our communities. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, Check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.